Hello friends, this is Pastor Christopher Alam in Lancaster, Pennsylvania. Once again, I greet you in the name of the Lord Jesus. And we are talking about uh, the blood covenant and this is lesson number 22. And uh, we finished yesterday, we couldn't really finish the thought and that Jesus is the guarantor of the new covenant. And so that's where I want to start, uh, start today. Now, you see, uh, as I said yesterday, that was my last thought that when is, when someone uh, someone dies he leaves a will behind and so what happens is that um, that the, there's a uh, you know there's a meeting in which those who are um, mentioned in the will are called and then um, the, the the will is read so that everybody knows what is coming to them then there's an executor or a guarantor of the will and his job is to make sure that everybody who is in the will gets what belongs to him. And that is what Jesus is. Jesus is the guarantor of the new covenant. But it's also very interesting is that Jesus is the one who died upon the cross and it is his death that makes his will alive you know because the will was written but when he died upon the cross someone has to die for the will to be active so when he died the will became active but then three days later he rose again from the dead to be the guarantor of the will so he not only is the one who died so that the will becomes active uh, he first of all he wrote your and my names on the will secondly he died so that the will is active and thirdly he rises from the dead to be guarantor of the will that means that one of the things that Jesus does is to make sure that you and I get everything that is written on the will and so but you have to know what the will is the will is the New Testament. When you read the New Testament, actually the word testament means a will. You know, it's interesting because, um, you know, the Bible is also called the last will and testament of the Lord Jesus Christ. It's interesting. So this is the New Testament is, is the will. And if you want to know what belongs to you, you've got to read the will. And so I've read the will and I have found out that salvation belongs to me. Fellowship with the Father belongs to me. Healing belongs to me. Financial provision belongs to me. Protection belongs to me. Deliverance belongs to me. The presence of God belongs to me. All these wonderful things. And the Bible says, and all these promises of God are yes in Christ Jesus. And through them, we say amen to the glory of God. That means that when we say amen, amen actually means yes, it stands. So when we hear the word of God and we say yes to it, that glorifies God. If I say, yeah, well, I know it's in the book, you know, healing. Yeah, right. It's in the book. But you know, sometimes God doesn't want to heal me. That doesn't glorify God. That does not, because what glorifies God is when we read the will and we say resounding yes and amen, and we take a hold of our inheritance. That pleases God because that is the reason Jesus died so that we can be free, so that we can get our inheritance. So Jesus is the guarantor of the new covenant and he makes sure that this covenant is unbreakable. 
It can never be broken. Why? Because both partners in the covenant, the Father and Jesus, the Son of God, they are both perfect. And because they are both perfect, this covenant can never be broken. But what about you and I? Well, we are seated with Christ in heavenly places. We are heirs of God and joint heirs with Christ. And because we are in Christ and we are with Christ, that is why all the blessings of the new covenant run over unto us and all we have to do is to live in faith in Jesus and trust him and believe him and walk with him and as long as we keep on doing that all these covenant blessings will overflow over us and they will never stop flowing because these covenant blessings the covenant is between Jesus and the father it can never 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 be broken like the old covenant was broken the new covenant can never be broken and you and I are in a fantastic place when we are in Christ as long as we hold on to Christ and and you know and that's what I'm going to do the rest of my life man I tell you I'm not that stupid I'm not that dumb that I'll just walk away and do my own thing that's why I always say people who backslide walk away from God are some of the stupidest the dumbest people I know how can you walk away from something like this where God promises you his presence his provision his healing everything you need through Jesus and all you have to do is to hold on to Jesus and trust him and have faith in him and be close to him and believe in him and give him your life you have nothing to lose but everything to gain hallelujah what a wonderful savior we have amen so anyway anyway i'm getting excited and carried away let me read the scripture to you okay hebrews chapter 12 verses 18 to 25 it says for you are not come unto the mount that might be touched and that burned with fire nor unto blackness and darkness and tempest and the sound of a trumpet and the voice of words which voice there that heard entreated that the word should not be spoken to them anymore. Now he's actually talking about when God gave the law to Moses. When God gave the law to Moses. He says, you know, Moses went up to the mountain and the people were down there. And that whole mountain burned with fire and there was darkness and there was a tempest. And God says, you cannot even touch the mountain. You cannot even touch the foot of that mountain. And God spoke with the sound that was like the voice of sound of a trumpet. And that he said, and the way the Lord spoke, the voice was so such that the people who heard that voice, they begged that they should not hear that voice again. And it says, verse 24, they could not endure that which was commanded. And if so much as an animal touches the mountain, it shall be stoned to death or it should be thrust through with a dart. And so terrible was the sight that Moses said, I exceedingly fear and quake. So that was the, that was the sight when God gave the law and the commandments to Moses. I mean, there was darkness and there was a storm and a voice that scared people to death and it was thunder and fire on the mountain and the people begged God, God, please don't say anymore. We are scared. And the Lord said, anyone, even, even an animal touches the foot of the mountain, he's going to die. And uh, I mean, the glory of God was in that mountain. No man was counted worthy to come close to the glory of God, except Moses, except Moses, because he was up on that mountain. So he says, that is not the mountain that you have come to. That's what the writer of the book of Hebrews, 
he is writing to the church. He said that mountain, actually the book of Hebrews was written to Jewish Christians and the Jewish Christians knew about the Mount of Moses, you know. And he says, he describes the mountain, the terrible, the horror, the scary sight. And he says, he says, listen, but that mountain that I've described is not the mountain that you have come to, but you are come into Mount Zion and into the city of the living God, the heavenly Jerusalem and, in, and to an innumerable company of angels to the general assembly and the church of the firstborn which are written in heaven and to God the judge of all and to the spirits of just men made perfect. He said, you have come to this, uh, this uh, you have not come to that mountain, but you have come to Mount Zion. And it describes this Mount Zion, this festive gathering upon Mount Zion is the city of the living God, the new Jerusalem and a company of angels. Hallelujah. And then he says, and to Jesus, the mediator of the new covenant and to the blood of sprinkling that speaketh better things than that of Abel. He said, we have come to Mount Zion and we have come to Jesus and Jesus is the guarantor of the new covenant. He's sitting there on the throne to make sure that you and I get everything that is promised to us on the new covenant and, and to the blood of sprinkling and the altar in the presence of God is sprinkled with blood and it is not like the blood of Abel which cried out for revenge upon his brother who had killed him because when Abel was killed by his brother Cain the blood of Abel called out for revenge but the blood of Jesus doesn't call out for revenge just like Abel was killed by his brother Jesus was killed by his brothers also and but his blood doesn't cry out for revenge his blood cries out for mercy his blood cries out for salvation his blood cries out for healing now who are the brothers of jesus who killed him well some people say it's the jewish people yes physically well it was the romans and but they did it at the behest of the of the jews so you can say that it was the romans and the jews who should take the blame for the killing of jesus but that's not the whole story the whole story is that you and I are also death of guilty of the death of Jesus because Jesus died for my guilt and from my sin. And you know, in anti-Semitism, the roots of anti-Semitism, this not, had nothing to do with my subject, but the roots of anti-Semitism are found in that, that the Jews killed Jesus. But when you think of it, it wasn't the Jews only, it was you. And I, if I had been standing there in that crowd, I would have been shouting crucify him because we are all guilty. Jesus died upon the cross because of your guilt and my guilt of your sin and my sin. It wasn't just the Jews, wasn't just the Romans. It was all mankind. It was all our sins that put Jesus on the cross. So the blood of Jesus that is why the blood of Jesus is speaking salvation upon the altar. It's not like the blood of Abel, which called out for revenge. That would say, punish Christopher Alam. No, it's the blood of Jesus that calls out for mercy for the Romans, for the Jews, for the Gentiles. And the blood of Jesus calls out you by name and me by name because we were all guilty of putting Jesus upon the cross. But now we can come to the cross free from our guilt free from our sin, free 
and not only can uh, can we come free because of the blood but we inherit the blessings of the new covenant hallelujah which is far greater than the old covenant every blessing that god promised to abraham you and i have far more than that what a blessing it is and the bible says we who were far we have been brought near through the blood of Jesus Christ. So it says, and to Jesus, so we have come, not to that mountain of Moses, which was on fire, but we have come to the mountain of Jesus, who's the mediator of the new covenant, and to the blood of sprinkling that speaks mercy and healing and blessing upon Jew, Gentiles, upon everybody. Then verse 25 says, say that you receive, refuse not him that speaks. Make sure that you don't refuse God who speaks. For if they escape not who refused him that spake on earth, much more shall not we escape if we turn away from that speaker from heaven. So here's a word of warning. He says, we have this wonderful new covenant. Make sure that you don't reject his voice. Make sure that you, that you don't rebel against him. That don't say, oh, I'm a new covenant, but you rebel against his voice. No, make sure. There's a warning here. All this is wonderful. The new covenant is wonderful, but there's a warning. See to it that you don't turn, turn away from the voice that speaks because that voice that spoke from Mount Sinai when Moses was on that mountain, that voice was so terrible. It scared the people of, to death because that voice, you know what it said? It said, thou shalt not, thou shalt not, thou shalt not, thou shalt not. You know, that was the Ten Commandments. That was the preamble to the whole law. Thou shalt not. The first things that God said, thou shalt not, thou shalt not. And every time people heard it, thou shalt not. And they said, I'm guilty, I'm guilty. I have done this, I have done this. But Jesus on, in Mount Zion, he doesn't say, thou shalt not. He said, I shall, I shall. That's the voice of the new covenant. He doesn't say, thou shalt not. He says, I shall. I shall save you. I shall heal you. I shall bless you. I shall deliver you. I shall put my hand upon you. I will never leave you nor forsake you. So he says, when you hear that voice, don't refuse that voice. Because it says, if we, if those who uh, refused him who spake on earth, he says, those who spoke from the earth, that is Moses, those who refused to hear his voice, they were punished. What about us who refuse the voice that we hear from heaven? Those who heard the voice on earth rejected him and they were punished. What will happen to us who reject the voice that speaks from heaven? That is the call of the gospel. Jesus is speaking from heaven. He is calling you. He is calling me. He is calling every man, woman and child on this earth. Hallelujah. Hebrews 7 verse 22, it says, By so much was Jesus, was, uh, was Jesus made a surety of a better testament. Again, it says Jesus Christ became God's guarantee of the New Testament, of the New Covenant. Jesus is the guarantor, the surety of the New Covenant. And that is why I know that Everything that God has promised in the new covenant is mine because Jesus is there to make sure that I become a partaker of everything that God has for me. But what God wants in return from me, he wants my life. He wants my obedience. He wants my heart. He wants my faith. 
everything. And if he has all of me, I have all of him. If he has all that I have, I have all that he has. So to enter into the new covenant, it's a surrender, is a surrender, is a sacrifice. Because Jesus said, if any man will come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross daily and follow after me. For what shall it profit a man if he gain the whole world and lose his own soul? And that is one thing you don't hear much these days, but that is the absolute truth. It is forsaking everything to follow Jesus. Amen. Forsake everything. Forsake all and follow Jesus. Hallelujah. That is the way we have to go because that is when we let go of everything and then God, he takes a hold of us and he gives us everything. Hallelujah. If God has all of you, you have all of God. And that is why you can't be in the new covenant and you hold on to the world because you think these things are so pleasurable. These things are so good. I want to hold on to them. No, no, no. You turn your back upon those two, those things, and you walk away from them, forsake them. Because Jesus said, therefore, whosoever shall not forsake all that he has and follow me cannot be my disciple. So there's an element of forsaking everything for the sake of Christ, leaving all that we have and leaving. And it can mean different things to different people. For me, who grew up as a Muslim, I had to give up my family. I had to give up my money. I had to give up my life, my position, my status. And God put me in a position when I had to choose to leave everything and to follow Jesus. And I look back today and do I regret leaving those things? Oh, no. I don't regret anything because what I have received from God is far more worth than what I left behind because you can never outdo, you can never outgive God because once you give you your life, your all, your ambitions, your dreams, your will, you give everything to Jesus, then Jesus gives everything to you. Hallelujah. And when Jesus gives everything to you, your life is rich and you are blessed. Hallelujah. So that is how we live in the new covenant. New covenant living is letting go of everything. That's what it is. And then you have everything Jesus says. So becoming a new part of the new covenant, forsake all and follow. Now, Acts 2, 38 to 39, it says, repent and be baptized every one of you in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of sin and you shall receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. The promise is for you and your children and for all who are far off, for all whom the Lord will call. Hallelujah. That's the first thing. Repent and be baptized. And that was the answer to the question he, asked, he was asked. These are the words of Peter. <coughs> After he preached Christ, they asked him, what must we do to be saved? What do I have to do? Well, this is what you have to do. If your question is, what do I have to do to be a part of the new covenant? Firstly, repent and be baptized every one of you in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. Now, I know there's people watching me who are from other religions and let me just say this. I respect religions, all religions treat 
I mean, teach good things. I don't know of any religion that teaches you to steal, to steal or to lie. All religions teach you these things, but religions, even the best religions cannot change your life. Only Jesus Christ can change your life. So if you want God's blessing on your life, you cannot circle around the fringes of Christianity, but you be repent and turn away from your old life and turn away from your sins. And secondly, be baptized in water in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of sins. And then you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. And the promise of God is for you and your children and your whole family for all whom the Lord your, our God will call. I remember when I left my home, my father wanted to kill me. My family forsook me. I left everything and I, I left my home. I just lost everything. I was a refugee. I ended up in Sweden as a refugee with nothing. I was nothing. And, but, but I decided to follow Jesus with all my heart. And today I have a lovely wife. I have got three beautiful children. I have a granddaughter and they all love Jesus and they all follow Jesus. You know why? Because the promise of God is for me and for my children and for my grandchildren. Hallelujah. The promise of God is for you and your family. Amen. And now Romans 8, 9 to 11, becoming part of the new covenant. You, however, are controlled not by the sinful nature, but by the spirit, if the spirit of God lives in you. And if anyone does not have the spirit of Christ, he does not belong to Christ. But if Christ is in you, your body is dead because of sin, yet your spirit is alive because of righteousness. And if the spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead is living in you, he who raised Christ from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies through his spirit who lives in you. Hallelujah. He says, when we, if God lives in us, if the spirit of God lives in us, we are no longer controlled by the sinful nature, but we are controlled by the Holy Spirit. If the Holy Spirit lives in us. Hallelujah. First John seven and nine. Then it says, if we walk in the light, that means we walk in the light of Jesus as he is in the light, uh, the blood of Jesus, his son, purifies us from all sin. If we confess our sins, he's faithful and just and will forgive us and purify us from all righteousness. Hallelujah. So if we walk in the light, that means we walk in the light of God. You know, there's a walk in, uh, in, in, in the light of God, when we walk in the light of God, what happens is that we have fellowship with one another. We have fellowship with the father because we live in the light. You know, when you walk in the darkness, no one can see where you are. No one can see what you're hiding. But when you're in the light, like I'm in a bright room, the lights are on. I'm in the light. Anyway, you can see who I am, what I'm wearing. I'm not hiding anything. So he says, if we are in the light because God is in the light because God is light. The Bible says God is light. When we are, if we are in the light as he is the light, we have fellowship with one another. Then it says the blood of Jesus, his son purifies us. That means continually cleanses us from sin. The blood of Jesus is continually cleansing us from sin. And then it says, if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just if we forgive us our sins and purify us from all unrighteousness. That means we confess our sins. We always live in the light. Always don't hide anything. Make things right with God. He says the blood of Jesus cleanses us from all sin. 
these are becoming part of the new covenant, okay? Now, there are three major foundations for understanding the covenants and the Old Testament law. Number one, I want you to understand these three things on the Bible. Firstly, the Old Covenant is obsolete. The Old Covenant is obsolete and the New Covenant has been established, okay? The Old Covenant is obsolete and the New Covenant has been established. Secondly, followers of Jesus Christ are not obligated to keep the law of Moses in order to be accepted by God. It is by faith in the shed blood of Christ alone that we are accepted by God. Listen to this. We as followers of Jesus Christ, we are not under any obligation to keep the law of Moses in order to be accepted by God. We are accepted by God because of the shed blood of Jesus Christ alone. Now, the third thing, I want, this is, I want you to listen to this so you don't misunderstand. Because if you must misunderstand, you can end up with something really crazy. Okay, listen to this. When Paul talked about the law, he was often concerned with the entire law of Moses. When Paul mentioned the law, he says the law says this, the law said that. He was not talking about certain parts of the law. He meant the whole thing, the entire package, the entire law of Moses. And he wrote several times that Christians were not under the authority of the law. Okay? Our obligations to obey God is defined by a different law, a spiritual law. So we live under another law, which is the royal law of love. Okay? The Bible talks about the royal law of love. So, so you have the law of Moses. When Paul said we are not obligated to the law, he's talking about the entire law of Moses. But as Christians, we are obliged to obey God and to follow Christ. And what our obligation to obey God is defined by a different law, not by the law of Moses, a different law. But here's the catch. That law uh, that we are obliged to walk in in order to follow God, there are times it it overlaps the law of Moses. There are times, it's not the law of Moses, it just happens to overlap it because there are certain things in the law of Moses that actually come in our law, the law of love, okay? But there are other areas where the, uh, our laws, the law, when I'm not laws, our, the royal law of love, it supersedes, it is greater than the law of Moses. Let me give you the example. For example, first example is where uh, the spiritual laws that we as Christians live by overlap with the law of Moses. Like Galatians 5, 19, 21. It says, now the works of the flesh are manifest, which are these adultery, fornication, uncleanness, lasciviousness, idolatry, witchcraft, hatred, variance, emulations, wrath, strife, seditions, heresies, envying, murders, drunkenness, revelings, and as such like, of which I tell you before, as I've also told you in time past, that they which do these things do not inherit the kingdom of God. Right? So, these, all these things, 
adultery, fornication, uncleanness, idolatry, witchcraft, etc., etc. These things are also forbidden under the law of Moses. Okay, so when I say that I'm no longer under the law of Moses, doesn't mean that, oh, now I can commit adultery, fornication, murder. No, 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 no. You see, I don't live under the law of Moses. I live under a new set of law, a, a spiritual law, which is the law of love. That then the law of love is you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, all your soul, all your might, and you shall love your neighbor as yourself. That's the law I live by, okay? But this law, these parts of the law where they overlap are things that are forbidden in both laws. They are forbidden by Moses, but they are also forbidden by the law of love. And these are idolatry, witchcraft, hatred, variance, you know, and, you know the, these are the works of the flesh. So when you look at Galatians chapter 5, the works of the flesh, those things are forbidden for us Christians. So although we are under grace, we are no longer under the law of Moses. We are under the royal law of love. And because we walk in love, we love the Lord our God. We love our neighbors ourselves. And because we love our neighbors, we shall not commit adultery. We shall not commit fornication. We shall not kill anybody. So, but these things, the works of the flesh that Galatians calls are also forbidden under the law of Moses. So what I'm saying is that there are certain areas where the law of Moses and uh, the law of love overlap, if you understand what I mean. So it is forbidden both under the law of Moses and under the law of love, the royal law of love. Okay, so this is where uh, the two laws overlap. The law of love and the law of Moses, they kind of have an overlap and they're all moral things. Now, the other thing is uh, there are other areas where the royal law of love supersedes. That means it's, it's higher, at a higher level than the law of Moses. So Jesus said in Matthew 5, 27, 28, you have heard that it was said by them of old time, you shall not commit adultery. But I say unto you that whosoever looketh on a, at a, on a woman to lust after her has committed adultery with his heart. So Jesus said, in uh, Moses said, you cannot commit adultery. But I say unto you, if you look at a woman with lust, you have already committed adultery in your heart. So there you see, Jesus is more stringent than Moses, because Moses said the actual act of adultery is sin, but Jesus goes even before that. He goes deeper than that into the heart issue. He said, if you look at a woman with lust in your heart, you have committed adultery uh, already. So there, the law of love supersedes. It's higher than the Old Testament law. It's actually tougher. So anyway, but we will talk about that more tomorrow. Let's pray. Father, in the name of Jesus, I pray for my brothers and sisters. Thank you for your hand upon their lives. Thank you for your mercy. I ask you to bless each one, bless their families. And, and Lord, use them mightily for your glory. Let there be life and health and healing in their homes. In Jesus' name. Amen. Well, God bless you. I'll be seeing you again tomorrow.